Hello and welcome to MedTech Insights Monthly Roundup of Digital Health News. I'm editor Marion Webb and with me today are editor Reed Miller, UK-based reporter Barnaby Pickering and our Washington-based reporter Produce Al-Farouk, who goes by Danny. So Reed, let's start with you. You wrote a story about IBM. Tell us more about their big announcement. Yeah, that's right. So IBM announced that they are divesting Watson Health, which is a business that um, they've had for a couple of years, and they're going to focus more resources just on their platform-based hybrid cloud and artificial intelligence technologies. So Watson, as people might be aware, refers to IBM's natural language artificial intelligence system. And IBM started Watson Health in 2015 to apply this technology to a bunch of different healthcare problems that they thought might be addressed by a system that can deal with large quantities of hard-to-process data and records. Now, specifically, they're going to sell all of their Watson Health assets, as they put it, to Francisco Partners, which is an international investment firm that specializes in information, communications, software technology. They didn't say how much the deal was worth, but it's been reported uh, elsewhere that it was probably around a billion dollars, according to to sources. Now, um, that if that's the price, that's a, a bummer for the company because all of the companies they bought over the years to build up Watson Health cost them between three and four billion dollars. The assets they're selling specifically include um, Micromedics, which is a drug supply chain management system. Uh, there's a part called MarketScan, which is a healthcare claims database. There's a part called Clinical Development, which um, helps pharmaceutical companies, research organizations, and medical device companies run trials. Watson Health also had imaging software products, um, along with some products that were designed for human services organizations and health plans. So what happened with Watson Health that led to the divestiture? Well, starting out, you know, they came came into the world with a lot of hype. Um, about 10 years ago, a version of that technology won on Jeopardy. Uh, and so people heard about that. And so when they started Watson Health, the company claimed that it was going to be uh, potentially a big revenue driver and, quote, change the face of healthcare. Um, but I guess the vision just never really materialized. According to analysts, uh, and IBM just wants to focus more resources on, you know, its core businesses, the cloud and other artificial intelligence technologies. Often when we have these deals, the company always says, oh, that wasn't core, so we're getting rid of it. Um, and I guess in this case, it, it really wasn't anymore. Uh, this was not a surprise to the analysts, especially since I think about three or four years ago, they started downsizing the company. And IBM, of course, is a huge company. So even if they just say lost three billion dollars on all of this, uh, you know, I, I'm not. We're not. Like I said we don't exactly know what the price was. That's still not going to be very noticeable to their bottom line. For example, IBM's revenue in the third quarter last year was about 18 billion dollars. Yeah, that's certainly an interesting development. So there's a lot of hype around these big IT companies getting into healthcare, but it remains to be seen how that will play out. Okay, Barnaby, now over to you. This month you covered home diagnostics, handheld ultrasound, and autonomous surgery. What can you tell us about your coverage? So firstly, home diagnostics. A Zurich-based company, Bloom Diagnostics, has developed a home testing platform that utilizes lateral flow technology and can deliver rapid, accurate testing at home for several conditions. So far, the company is marketing tests for ferritin levels, thyroid function via thyroid-stimulating hormone levels, and ovarian reserves via the anti-malarian hormone level. 
MedTech Insight spoke to the company's co-founder and board chairman, Angelica Coleman, to learn more about the system and how it fits into the current care continuum. At the heart of the discussion was the issue of handoffs. Patients can get results from Bloom, but not treatment. Managing this stage is key to the implementation of all telehealth technologies as regulators, especially the FDA, remain reluctant to encourage self-treatment for obvious reasons. The company has a wide proposed pipeline and hopes to expand its operations globally once regulatory clearance has been gained. And on to handheld ultrasound, the big story this month was Lumify 4.0, an upgrade to Philips Lumify handheld ultrasound platform. 4.0 equips all Android compatible Lumify devices with pulse Doppler ultrasound capabilities, which enables clinicians to rapidly and accurately get patient blood flow information. This is vital for a huge swath of fields in medicine, especially neurology and cardiology. The move comes as competition within the handheld ultrasound market begins to intensify. Newcomers to the field, such as Butterfly Network and ECHO, well, EXO, pronounced ECHO, are struggling to unseat the incumbent market leaders. These newcomers offer what they claim to be objectively better devices, smaller, lighter, and capable of the widest range of imaging functions. However, the big market leaders such as Philips and GE Healthcare already have deep-rooted connections in hospital purchasing teams and are happy to negotiate discounts that undercut the new tech. The next couple of years will begin to reveal who will win this race. And finally, autonomous surgery may actually be on all of our radars pretty soon, thanks to some research at Johns Hopkins University. The university's Smart Tissue Autonomous Robot, or STAR for short, autonomously performed anastomosis, a surgical procedure that involves suturing two ends of intestine. Not only did STAR perform the surgery, but it planned it and delivered results that exceeded those typical of an expert surgeon. This represents a major step forward towards the day when surgeons go hands off for the first time and let a robot perform surgery by itself in a human. Although likely still many years away, this day could come sooner than expected. Thanks, Barnaby. Interesting coverage. And I know you'll keep your eyes on that space. So now over to you, Danny. You will fill us in on all the regulatory news. Thanks. On the regulatory front, I think the biggest news is that the US FDA has been downclassifying a number of digital health apps. As some of our listeners may recall, the agency has allowed a number of medical software on the market over the past few years under the de novo pathway, such as medical apps on the Apple Watch. Now the FDA has decided to officially downclassify those apps and others to class two with special controls, which means that sponsors can use the 510k pathway, which is less burdensome for sponsors. The agency says they hope the moves will encourage more sponsors to file for pre-market applications and bring more digital health products to patients. Thank you for that, Dan. You also covered a new cybersecurity standard that could be more burdensome for medtech software companies. What can you tell us about that? Sure. So the IEC 81001-5-1 standard, which is a bit of a mouthful, was adopted by the International Electrotechnical Commission, or IEC, and the International Organization for Standards, or ISO, in December. Legal experts recently wrote that they are concerned the standard goes well beyond current regulatory requirements, and it could spell trouble for companies who manufacture medtech software if regulators like the FDA adopt it. The standard asks developers of medical devices software to incorporate certain life cycle cybersecurity standards that could especially be burdensome for non-device health software manufacturers. 
More specifically, it may mean healthcare software manufacturers would have to follow requirements such as those regarding software of unknown providence or SOUP, software architectural design, safety risk management, problem resolution, and documented static reviews of requirements, architecture, and design. For now, they're just tracking the standard as it's being used and watching to see if regulatory agencies take an interest in adopting it. Thanks, Danny. So the archive of the Digital Health Roundup, speaking of MedTech, MedTech Insights Device Week, and the rest of Informa Pharma Intelligence podcasts are available on the Informa Pharma Intelligence channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Spotify Podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. I'm medtech Marion, that's spelled M-A-R-I-O-N. Reed is at medtech Reed with two E's and Barnaby is medtech Barney, B-A-R-N-Y. And finally, Danny is at medtech underscore Danny. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week.